Welcome to the River City Church podcast and a message by our lead pastor, Jason Powers. Our prayer is that this message would inspire and encourage you, build your faith, and point you to the life-changing love of Jesus. May you enjoy the goodness of God as you follow him today. Hi, everybody. We just abruptly, yeah. Uh, hey, I'm glad that you're here. Hey, real quick, I want to talk about what Natalie said. Um, uh, depression or whatever. I know some people, people that I love, people that know Jesus, that fear Jesus, that love Jesus, that are following Jesus, that are going to die and then go to heaven. And they would say something that if you are depressed, you just need to believe more. You just need to have more. You just need to understand more. I just want to say on the account of, you know, uh, based on what I see in scripture, like the entire book of second Corinthians and all of that, right? Like I love my friends. They're probably going to heaven. They are dead wrong about that. Right? So what does it look like to practice faith? in the midst of depression and anxiety and fear and undone on that, I think it looks like that. You don't have to get on a stage to do that, right? But you go to somebody and you go, I'm not doing okay today. I'm not okay today. Again, go read 2 Corinthians. If you think, if you have trouble with depression and faith in this, Paul, the apostle Paul writes, we despaired even unto the point of death. The way we would call that today is suicidal. But you know what? Here's what we do. When we find that place, we go. I don't have to believe that that's the ultimate reality. I feel it. It feels weird. It feels dark. I feel depressed. I feel scared. And put the name on it. I feel depressed. Depressed just means pushed down, right? I feel depressed. I'm sad. I'm sorry. I'm scared. I'm alone. I'm anxious. But what she did was she went to the word and she said, enter his gates with thanksgiving. So then what song does she sing? Gratitude. That's a model. What you just saw is a model. The model in Christianity isn't have it all together until you're not depressed. The model is this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it even when I'm depressed. And it doesn't mean that you don't feel anything. It doesn't mean that you're not sad anymore. It doesn't mean that you put on a smile and you shine and you grin through it. It means you go to the Lord and you go, you know what I bring you today, Lord? Sadness and sorrow and grief and depression. And I'm gonna get out of my bed and I'm gonna put my feet on the floor because you're here today. Even if I don't feel you or see you right now, you know what that takes? Faith. And so I'm like, Lord, just take it from me. And he's like, no. And I'm like, well, Lord, you're mean. He's like, no, you're stronger than you think. Get up and walk through it. Lord, but I'm weak. Yes, you are. You're terribly weak. You are weaker than you can ever imagine. The Lord says, I'm not. So you should fill your head with scripture. You should fill your heart with scripture. You should fill your circle with the people of God who will tell you I'm with you in your depression, but it does not get the last word in your life. The problem is we feel, feed and fill our lives with other messages, with messages that say it's scary and you're dangerous and you're alone and you're lost and you're afraid and we believe it and then we reinforce and we fill our head and then we walk out and we go, where's God? He's right there. Right in the middle of it. Okay, good. I want you to know that, that it is okay to not have it all together. Because when you say, I don't have it all together, you are saying, I am part of the human race. And there's good news in that. You know what the good news is? The only thing Jesus came to redeem, restore is the creation as the stomping ground of humanity, which is created in his image, which we're going to talk about today. And that's good news because he loves you and he wants to redeem you. We saw that. Uh, what week is this? Three? Is this the third week? About 
Two weeks ago, at the beginning of the series, we looked at Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was a guy who had gotten to the top the way that you're supposed to. He was born into the family, and he went to a system, and he obeyed the system, and the system was Judaism, and he followed the rules, and he followed the law, and he did all the things, and he heard about this guy, Jesus, and he went to Jesus, and he said, hey, Jesus, we know you're from God, and so there was this separation, this distinction. He's like, Jesus, tell me about yourself, and what Jesus said was, there's no new life without rebirth. And that's what Nicodemus was like, what are you talking about rebirth? And we saw this metaphor that Jesus used, right? He used, you can't be born unless you're born of the flesh and of the spirit, of water and of the spirit. So we have to have this physical life. But we saw that this physical life that we're born into from the moment that we're born, it begins to shape us. It begins to form us. It begins to squeeze us, to turn us. And what it tells us is you are what you do. And you've bought into that, right? When you feel pressure about work, when you feel like your identity is who you are and what you do, or you have a relationship that leaves you or that goes away and you begin to wonder, who am I now? Uh, in my family, my father's facing retirement and I know at retirement, well, he, he's not facing it anymore. He's like in it now, but the retirement brings the question after all of these years of working, who am I now? What fills my day? What am I about? And what Jesus told Nicodemus is this path that you're on, it will get you a different direction. But if you want to see the kingdom of God, you have to be reborn. And what that means is we have to go back to the beginning and we have to learn how to walk in the kingdom where God's rule and reign is supreme. And so what we did is we've been looking at, we started last week, we went all the way back to the beginning in Genesis 1 to try to get a picture of what that looks like. Because we want to know what's Jesus calling us back to. And we saw last week that he took us back and he said, and it was empty and it was full formless and void. And there was confusion and there was emptiness over the face of the earth. And we said, you know, if we're, we're going to talk about like biblical creation, we said God created everything. And that's so important because we're going to actually talk about days of the week today. And the way that we can kind of talk about it, I just want to make it absolutely sure. God is sovereign. He created everything. He created all things. He is the one in the universe that has full and final say. That's why I don't put stock. That's why I don't put a lot of faith. I don't put any faith in astrology because I believe that God created the stars. So whether you're a Libra or a Capricorn, I don't care. You're a child of the living God. We should ask him first. I think really kind of the Enneagram is, is helpful. It's useful. And a lot of people put inside of that. But at the end of the day, I want to ultimately finally and fully go to the Lord of the God who created me and say, what is it that you have put in me? And this brings us kind of to the setting of our story. We said when we read Genesis chapter one, it wasn't written as like an eyewitness account. The story came to Moses, who was with the people of Israel in the wilderness. So real quick, the picture was God created all the stuff and he created Abram. He said, Abram, I'm going to make you a nation. And then Abram became Isaac and Isaac had Jacob at 12 and they went to Egypt for 400 years and they became a nation, maybe over a million people. But then God said, now that you're a nation, I want you to come into the wilderness. So he pulled them out of Egypt. He separated them by plagues and he brought them out into the wilderness. And he began to say, I am the God who created you. I am the God who called you out of Egypt. I am the God who created you and formed you for this. This is where you have come from. So what Genesis chapter one is, God's revelation to Moses as Moses is telling the people of Israel 
who they are. You're not Egyptian, marked and formed by Egyptian culture, marked and formed by Egyptian gods. You are marked by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he tells the story of what we know as the book of Genesis. Originally, it was an oral tradition. He tells the story of Genesis so that the people of Israel would know that's whose God we are. That's who he is. So it's very important when we read Genesis 1, it's so important that we not read Genesis 1 as a science textbook. The point of Genesis 1 is not for God to fix a pre-scientific culture's cosmology. God is not talking about the expansion of the universe because back then they saw a plant and thought it was a god right? They're not trying to show them. He's not trying to talk about astral, astronomical units or light years or quarks or string theory. None of that. He's trying to show creation as the place where God gets involved with humankind. The same is now. So the question is, if that's what Genesis was for, for the ancient Israelites, right? To show them this God who created them and to show them this God who leads them out of slavery, that leads them out of bondage and leads them into freedom. Genesis serves the same role for us today. It answers the question or it addresses the issue, who is this God? This is important. See, we, if we skip over or if we breeze past Genesis chapter one, the only thing that is impacted directly for us is, are you ready? Our faith. Because if we believe that all of this is just some mechanical force, then we believe that we are at best caught up in it. That's not encouraging. How do you pray to a personal, an impersonal force? How are you comforted by an impersonal force? Now, I understand if you're outside of the church, if you're outside of this, you would just say, well, that's not the point to be, to be um, comforted by an impersonal force. But what I would say is, wouldn't it be neat if you could have both sovereignty and a comforting personal force and presence in your life? So we get to this place now, whereas we look kind of in, we looked at two verses last week, and I promise we're going to do more than that this week, right? But what we, saw this, what we saw last week is that Genesis 1 is a good God's blueprint for life in a designer cosmos. And here's this idea that I just want to like dangle in front of your face. I just want to dangle over your head. And listen, we probably won't fully implement this in our lives today because it's deep and it's got strings and fingers that go all the way back into the very recesses of our being and, and, and our ideas and, and who we are, right? But the idea is when God created it all, your life and life in general was not supposed to be chaotic. Now I have almost three teenagers. So there's a level of chaos, right? That I was not, I'm not even sure the Lord and his, right? Like we're, we're, we're reaching Genesis one levels of, of chaos, right? At this point right now. And I'm not necessarily talking about that, but I'm talking about interpersonal chaos. I'm talking about the chaos of who am I? I'm talking about the chaos of what does this mean? All this stuff that I look around this world that I've been involved in, what does this mean? What does it look like? Is it really supposed to be just grinding my way through 60 or 70 or 90 or hundred years and then death? And then maybe I'll get to sit on a cloud and play a harp. Is that what it is? Well, what we saw last week was we just set the stage for that. God creates order 
in chaos. It's a blueprint for life, for what life is supposed to look like in his world. Today, what we're going to look at is how God deals with chaos, what God does in chaos. So here's the thing for you that I want to just set the stage, right? Last week, as we were talking, I asked you to just kind of identify where in your life is a place of chaos, where in your life is a place where things seem out of sorts, out of order, where you don't have an answer, or it seems too big, it seems to threaten you, it seems to cover you up, because the question now is, what does God do in that? If his idea is that he wants to bring order out of the chaos, what does it look like in your chaos? Is that available to you, or does it only have to do with cosmic gases? Is God, right, the cosmic watchmaker, right, Thomas Jefferson's cosmic watchmaker who winds the thing up and he sets it down and he steps back and lets it go? Or does God involved in this world that he created? Well, let's see. Here's the point I want to make today. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kind of give you the point so that you can see and you can know where we're going to go. And then we're going to step back and we're going to talk about Bible study today. So a couple things are going to happen. Number one, you're going to get what you're going to get a perspective and a view on Genesis chapter one that I think makes it all make sense, that makes God uh, fit into your life and into the cosmos and creation. But you're also going to get a paradigm and a process that will allow you go to the word, to go to the word on your own and draw out of that, right? Because listen, uh, real quick, I hope this will be coming. Any of you ever come to the Bible and you read the Bible and you open it up and you look at it and you come to it and after 10 minutes or so of reading, you look at it and you go, well, I don't have any idea what that was talking about. Do you ever have that? Anybody have that? Say, it's okay, raise your hand high. Seriously, raise your hand high. I want you to feel comfortable, right? Good, good. That's okay. I have my hand up and I seriously, and I, and I mean it. But what I don't want you to do is get discouraged or stuck or lost in that place, right? Okay, so here we go. If you have your Bible, if you have this, take it out. That would be good. Uh, I hope you do. This is a great, it lets me write on it and gets all that. If not, Get your phone or get your iPad or if you have a scroll or if you use uh, smoke signals or pigeons or whatever it is, however it is that you get the scripture, get your scripture. Because the idea, the picture that we're going to get at today is the Genesis creation account reveals the God who brings order to every chaos. And so what I mean is what in your life as chaos is your relationship with your kids or your relationship with your parents chaotic? Is your relationship at work chaotic? Is your finances chaotic? Is your self-image chaotic? Is your sense of joy and peace and fun in this world? And what I would say is even what Natalie shared about depression, about waking up and being, being sometimes moody and up and down, that is chaotic. Anytime where you wake up and you don't know what's going on around, that's chaos. So think about what that looks like in your life. How does that make you feel? How does that impact that sense of chaos, that sense of out of control? How does that impact your job, your family, your friends, everywhere you go, okay? Because what I want to say is Genesis 1 is going to show us that. It's going to show us how God deals with that. But what's important for us right now is we have to ask the question, how do we read this story well? How do we come to Genesis chapter one and get out of it what was intended to put in there? Because listen, this is very important. Genesis one was not written to us. Moses was never there going, I wonder what Jason is gonna think about 40,000 years from now. Nothing, nothing like that. Now, it's good for us, it's useful for us, and we're gonna pick that apart. But in order to get that, we have to learn how to and remember how to read it well, right? So there's a cup, the best way to study, the only way to study really is to ask questions, to ask good questions of the scripture, right? So what we want to know in the scripture is what does this scripture show us about God? That's always first. 
The first character that we see in scripture is who? God, right? In the beginning, God. The book is about him. It's not about me. Now I'm in it, not me personally, humankind, like it's not, but it is about God. So the first question that we ask as we come to scripture is what does it say about God? What does it say about mankind? What does this scripture say about life? What does this scripture say about sin? And so there's three questions that we can ask. First question is, what does it say? When you come to the Bible, the first thing that you have to do that you have to read is you have to, what does it say? John 3, 16, I'm not gonna put it up there. What does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So you step back and you go, okay, what? What does it say? Now, did you know that summarizing is Bible study? Do you remember last week where we said um, translation is interpretation? Now, your translation of the Bible is not authoritative, right? It is not, um, you can't take it and just go, well, this is what this means to me. That's not authoritative, but we can step back and go, what's the Bible trying to say? Because if we take now John 3, 16, what we can just say is God loves everyone. For God so loved the world. God loves everyone. God gave his son so that everyone could be saved. That's what Genesis, or that's what John 3.16 says. So what does it say is the first one. Most people want to skip this. Most people, because this is where um, this is where a lot of commentary comes in. I want to know what the culture, what's going on at the time, who is it written to, who is it written about, where do they say this? This happens all you know all the time. If you read uh, if you read a poem from England, from London, England in 1750, it's going to sound very different than a poem written in the United States in 1750, right? What does it say? What is the language that they use, right? The second question that we ask, what does it say? The second question is, what does it mean? Now we start putting interpreters and you ask the question, what did it mean to the first group that heard it. What does it mean to be now? What does it mean for the areas of my life, for my relationships? What does it mean for my children? What does it mean for my job? What does it mean for my feelings, right? What does it say? What does it mean? And finally, what do I do? Do you remember Jesus said, repent because the kingdom is here. The information that we find out about the kingdom, the information that we find about what God's doing here on earth is meant to change us. It's meant to change our behavior, not arbitrarily. This is so important. It's not meant to just change our, our, our behavior arbitrarily. It's meant to change our behavior in line with and in light of this truth and reality that God's kingdom is here. God's presence is available. He is here. He is for us. He is redeeming all things. And that's the truth that changes everything. Because of that truth, I can do things differently. I can be changed and I can be different. So we're going to ask those three questions today. Good. Are you ready? You're going to be biblical scholars before you even knew it. Okay. So when we decide what's it say, the first thing that we have to determine is genre. Now, you could go home, you could go to blueletterbible.org. They have like a commentary section and you could read all of the commentaries about Genesis chapter one and you could do all of this and you would find and you would be smarter for it, for having done it. And I think you should, and I hope you do. We have about 30 minutes left, so I'm not gonna make you do that today here, right? What I'm gonna go ahead and do is I'm just gonna kind of tip the scales for you. I'm gonna give you a little bit of insight and you can go home uh, and unpack this a little bit more. So the first question that we have to ask when figuring out what it says is what genre is it? Because you remember last week we talked about poems, 
Poems and history and letters are not the same. You don't read them the same, right? So what do we say about Genesis chapter one? Well, there's a lot of um, repetition in it. There's some symbolism in it, right? But the thing about Genesis chapter one is it's not really pure poetry. Some people who try to kind of try to take advantage of Genesis chapter one and make it, you know, kind of either dismiss it or minimize it or whatever. They say, oh, well, it's just a poem. It's supposed to be read as a poem. It is only a poem. Well, the reality is that it's not really written purely like a poem. There's no big metaphors in it, right? Like we saw last week, it doesn't say that there's a tent in the sky where the sun goes. There's no like grand hymnic language, right? Like when we read, you know, the, the hymnic language, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, right? Like the point in poetry and in poems and, and, and all this is to convey something really big in a really small sense and a really small, small space. And that's what's going on here, but it's not written like a home. The language is straightforward. The language says, it says, God said, God did, he made, and it was so. There's no sense of, and once upon a time in a land far, far away, and there were dragons and gods and all that. There's this very clear sense that, that God did something direct. So it's not a pure poem, which would allow us to make metaphor of everything, right? But on the other hand, here's the difficulty. On the other hand, it's not straight prose either. It's not pure narrative. There are no facts. Later on in Genesis chapter six, God tells Moses or God tells Noah how to build an ark. And he says, you got to build it this high, this size, this wide, this way, so many cubits, so many cubits, this kind of pitch, this kind of wood, you got to do that. This doesn't have that. It's got this repetition of language. There is this repetition of structure. So it doesn't look like a storybook. It's not necessarily a poem, but it's also not necessarily an article found in National Geographic magazine. What Genesis chapter one is, falls under literary critics and historians have said, Gen uh, Genesis chapter one is a genre called elevated prose, okay? So it is prose language, prosaic language, but it's lifted, it's got repetition, it's got structure, it's got, it's got imagery. Specifically, Genesis chapter one is a prologue. Now you've read a prologue before. You go read a book and you look at it and it's like, hey, this is setting the stage. This was kind of what was going on forth. This is how we got to there, right? And it shows God separating. So really later down the road as we see the, uh, all this bears out. But for right now, Genesis chapter one is this beginning. It's setting the stage. So what does that mean for what we do? What it means is we need to, as we go to Genesis one, and if this makes you nervous, I understand. I get it, right? But here's what Genesis one, what we do. It means we are allowed to come to Genesis one with all the ambiguity that the text will allow. And here's what that means, right? If we try to force onto this text that it was a six day, 24 hour in this passage, literal creation from nothing ex nihilo into all things. I can look at that and say, maybe because it talks about days. That certainly doesn't make my God smaller, right? The fact that he's that, that's good. I can handle that. I can buy that, right? But there's also just enough poet poeticism in this passage to make me see it may be a literary device. 
may be a rhetorical device. Maybe day means something else. So let me tell you something now that I think, that I believe how I interpret this. And here's what I wanna say. There are people, I've read enough books by enough men and women with letters after their name on this subject that I believe my confident, my, my interpretation is well within the bounds of orthodoxy. It's old, there are a lot of people that have it. But listen, if you disagree with me, that's okay too. Part of the beauty of the church is within this bounds of, within the bounds of, of God is good and God is sovereign over all, we can have room to fudge. So here's what I say. Here's what I believe real quick. I believe that in the beginning, there was nothing. I mean, there was nothing except God, the Trinitarian God, the Father, his eternally begotten son and the spirit of God that was hovering over pre-creation waters. And then I believe that God created everything. I believe that he created every molecule, every atom. There is nothing in history that exists that did not exist exists. And I believe that Genesis 1 uh, is, a, is an account of six literal 24-hour days. Here's what I also believe. I do not believe that Genesis chapter 1 is the account and the story of the literal uh, creation ex nihilo. Here's what I believe it's like. Ex nihilo means out of nothing, right? Here's what I believe. I believe that God created the heavens and the earth in the same way that who built our house? Bella Vista Homes built our house. And there was a day that I went to the bank and I signed a check, a large check. And they said, this is now your house. And on that day, it was just a house. And it sat there. It had an address. It had water. Everything was plumbed and ready to go into that house. But you know what we did? We didn't want a house. We wanted what? A home. So when did a a home at some point later? And did it happen in one day? Yeah, it did. My back still hurts from it when it happened in one day, but it did, right? My house began becoming a home on the day that we moved into it. So I believe that Genesis 1 is the account of six literal 24-hour days of creation where God did something special and unique with all of the things that he had created before. Do you want to see what those things are? Do you want to see what God did and the confusion and the chaos and the emptiness? Because what I believe is there's a reason that God wants us to know what he did. And I believe that there's a reason that he set it out the way that he did. Because do you remember what we saw last week, how God is speaking into confusion and into emptiness? And so what I want to say is what God wants you to find in Genesis chapter one is hope for the confusion and emptiness in your life. He wants you to see what he's capable of. He wants you to see what he's doing. He wants you to see what all of history is pointing to. So are you ready? I'm going to fly and I'm going to get you. I say that I'm not. We're just going to go over and it's going to be fine. Let's see what we have, right? If you're here for the first time, you're like, oh, let's go to it. Nope, we're going to get it. Here we go. Genesis chapter one, starting in verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was without form and it was void and darkness was over the face of the deep. Remember, we saw without form and void. Tohu wabohu, remember? Right, that empty, confused, right? The creation, it doesn't say that nothing existed. What it said is everything was confused and everything was empty. The creation that God had, it didn't have purpose. It didn't have meaning. It wasn't well-ordered and it wasn't fulfilling, right? Verse three, and God said, let there be light and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And listen, and God separated. There's a big word that's going to show up over and over and over and over and over again. God said, and there was, and what it said, he separated the light from the darkness. 
And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Now, so some of the things we have the first day, right? How do, what marks our day? Besides the alarm clock, aside from the rooster, it's the sun coming up, right? And again, we can point this out and know, what does this mean? I don't know what it means. All I know is there's light and there's dark and there is as of yet no sun. So we have day and we have night, we have evening and we have the morning, the first day, and it's rolling over, right? So what do we have? Second, right? We go down to verse, let me make sure I got all of this, right? Yeah, right. So first day, he creates light. And what does he say? It is what? He separates, there's light and there's darkness, right? And we just say, oh, well, God was the light, right? But God is the all, he is all light. Everything is light. In him, there is no shifting. There is no changing. There is, there is no shadow. For there to be light at the time, that means God was creative. To separate the light from the darkness was this creation of, of daytime. And what its creation really was, was time, before this, we'd have, we have no sense that there was this movement. Now we know it was going on, but when God says there's gonna be evening and there's gonna be morning and it's gonna be regular and it's gonna be consistent, what that means is we can start counting on this. We can start marking our time by this. So now we go down to verse six. And God said, do you hear that again? And God said, and what did he say? Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate. There's that idea again. Let it separate the waters from the waters. This is what we talked a little bit about last night, right? Waters above, waters below. Okay, so real quick, what happened when you put water above and waters below? What do you have in here? The Bible calls it an expanse. Do you know what we call it? Sky. God created the sky on day two. Do you know why the sky is important? Because if you don't have a sky, you don't have weather. And if you don't have weather, you don't have agriculture. So now let's talk about this water above, right? This shell of sky, right? This hard candy crust that's around the whole earth, right? Well, what would a hard candy crust around the whole earth do? You know what it would do? It would keep the waters back. The water's above, right? So you hope there's some holes in that firmament, right? So a little bit of the water can get through, right? But what it says is that God created the firmament. And what that means is that God controls when it rains. God controls when the sun's, sun comes out. God controls when the seasons come and when the God's seasons don't. And you know what that means? If God does it, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob does that, you know who doesn't do it? Baal, Ra, all those Egyptian gods who went before. God said, I create. And listen, remember, his job wasn't to fix their cosmology. His job wasn't to go, uh, actually, there's a water cycle, right? Evaporation, condensation, precipitation, right? All He's not trying to do that. He's just like, hey, all the order in the world that you see that makes sense, the rain and the coming, God says, I did that. I did that. Not, not anyone out over there. I did that. Now we go down to verse eight. And God called the expanse heaven. You thought heaven was with God on a heart plant, right? 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 Someday it is, the, the heaven, right? In the presence of God, right? But when Jesus said, repent because the kingdom of heavens is at hand, 
The original creation, he created the heavens, he created the space, he created the air, he created the atmosphere and the ideas. And when Jesus says the kingdom of heavens is at hand, he's talking about that. The kingdom of heaven is all around you. God's activity in the world, just like in garden, in the garden, when Jesus came, God's activity and his rule and his reign and his authority is available here, now, in the space, above the water, below the water, in the sky, where we are. And then he goes on, verse nine, and God said, do you see the repetition? And God said, and it was, and it was good. Day two is actually the only day that doesn't talk about, that doesn't say that it was good. Let's see what day three, verse nine. God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. Do you know why dry land is important? Because you've got time. You've got agriculture. You've got weather. You've got seasons. You've got precipitation. Well, what good is it to have rain if you don't have any land to plant your crops? Rain on the ocean doesn't do very good for agriculture. So God said, well, we should have a place for you to plant your crops. Verse 11, and God said that the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit bearing, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so, so he creates sea and land and plants. So all through day one, we say God's speaking and separating and creating. So here's what days one through three look like in creation. We put this on a chart, right? First, light and dark. He separated the light from the dark. The second, he separated the waters above and below. And second, he separated the seas and he separated and creates dry lands and he creates the plants on the field. So we see day one through three. Now, do you remember at the beginning, the condition of the earth, the earth was formless. And so for the first three days, God begins to put form to the earth. He forms time. He forms weather. He forms agriculture. He he forms farming. And how does he do it? By separating. That is, that is not. This is, this is not. This grows, this doesn't grow. This is water, this is land, this is sky, this is sea. So days one through three is all about God creating this problem of formlessness. And so what we have though, what he said is it was formless, it was confused, and it was empty. So we go now to day four, verse 14 and God said, so again, we come to this. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Okay, so now we're talking about sun and moon and stars. He explains it. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let the lights in the expanse of the heavens give light upon the earth. And it was so. And so here's what we have, right? We have this fullness, right? Now we have the sky, we have time, we have agriculture, we have land. But you know what? We have all these people that walk around and go, well, when do I plant? When do I put, how do I know when I plant? Can I put beans in the ground in, in winter? I'm not a farmer, so I don't know the answer to that question, but that's the question that they're asking, right? And so what God does, it says, hey, you gotta know when to put your crops in the ground. You gotta know when to pull them out. You gotta know when it's time to, for your animals to have babies and when it's time for them not to have babies. So what he did, he says, I'll show you how to mark time. So he puts seasons. And how do you tell seasons? He fills them with sun and moon and stars and planets and constellations. So we can go, now it's about to be cold. We better hunt for the winter. We better hunker down. Do you see he's creating us and he's showing us how to live life in this world, the sun and the stars and the moon. We go to verse 20. You see, I'm blowing through this. Go back and read it for yourself. Meditate, unpack this. Verse 20. 
And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth and across the expanse of the heaven, right? So he created space, the heavens, the sky. And what did he fill it with? Life. Now I want to step back and I want to just real quick make sure that we understand what's going on. What kind of life did God create one bird? like a giant albatross and like you can eat it and it's good, like you can send messages with it and it like all, it's pretty to what? No, a bunch of different birds. Create, like I love birds, but some birds are terrible. You ever been to Bucky's about sunset and you see the starlings with the thing, right? It freaks me out, man. I don't know why they do that. I didn't teach them how to make the shapes and the signs and all the thing. And I just drive by and I walk at it and it freaks me out a little bit, but I go, that's kind of cool. And I think about all the abundance and the variety and the opulence of our God in this world that he created. And I just know that he didn't have to do that. I just know that he did. So he created the sky and he filled it. And then we come to verse 26. And this is where it really gets good. And then God said, let us make man. Now the word there, man, is the word Adam, right? Mankind, let us make mankind. God said, let us make man in our image, and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, what I want to say is this is a unique in creation. God never speaks like this over any other aspect of creation. He doesn't wax philosophical about the creation of the birds. He doesn't wax philosophical about the creation of the plants. What I want to say real quick, this is real important because what we have here is this sense of dominion, right? People are supposed to have dominion over the creation, but what's very important, if we're going to understand and get this right, Humans are different than animals. We are valued differently than animals. God did not create humankind and animal kind different. Now, does that mean that we don't respect? Does that mean that the entire creation is here for us to just use and do with as we please? Absolutely not. We're going to see that. But listen, God values human life differently than all other forms of life is created in his image. It is created uniquely by him and for him. Okay, so here we go. Uh, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Unique, but different. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We're going to talk about dominion next week when we look specifically at mankind and God's creation and what that means for us, what that means for you and for me. But what that means right now, what I want to stand on right now is on day six... Remember day three, God created the land, right? And he separated. And on day six, he fills it. He fills it with livestock, with animals. And after all of creation, after all the big plants and the little plants and the fish and the birds and the seas and the animals and the livestock, after all of that, he creates mankind. And he says, have dominion. He says, you are in a unique position and a unique spot in this creation. You're different than everything else, Adam. And we're going to unpack that. And let me just tell you this real, real quick. If you think your job is the thing that you are going to escape upon death finally and fully so you can finally have the life that God intended for you, what I want to say is work is precursor. 
God wants to redeem your vocation. He wants to redeem your job. He wants to redeem the goodness. He wants to redeem what you're created for. But right now, I just want to show us days four through six, right? So we have him creating light and dark, and then he creates the agents of the light and the darkness. He creates the waters above and the waters below, and then he fills them. He creates the seas and the dry land and the plants, and then he fills them. And then we go to verse to chapter two, and starting in verse one, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, uh, that's really confused, but what I wanna say about this, and we're gonna unpack this a lot next week. You just have to listen to me and trust me and believe me on this. Remember we said last week that Genesis chapter one is an ancient Near Eastern creation text? If you went to any, if you ask your ancient Near Eastern friends, right, your people who were from then, right, and they read Genesis chapter two, they would step back and what they would look at and they would go, that's a temple text, okay? What we find in Genesis two, and again, we're gonna unpack this all next week. You gotta come back next week. This is what I'm doing, baiting the hook, right? Genesis chapter two, start, verses one through three is a temple text. Here's the idea that we're gonna unpack next week. God created earth to be inhabited by him and humanity together forever. We were supposed to be there with him. And what does God do in his creation? He reigns over it. He rules over it. Day seven, we find this. What does we find on day seven? He completes, he rests, he blesses. God presides over his creation in creation. That's different not in a palace far away, but in the midst of his creation. So real quick, we're already over. Here's what I want you to know. Like, what does this mean? What does Genesis 1 mean? Listen, are you ready? It means everything. It means everything. Everything changes for this. All week, I was so excited. This may be my favorite passage in all of the scripture because it has so much potential for your life, for your darkness, for the confusion, for your fear, for all of the things, right? And I'm only going to talk about three real quick. First thing, God always creates an abundance of good. Always, always, always. And you step back and you just go, doesn't look like it to me. World seems pretty garbage to me. A lot of anger and fighting and division, separation, right? Here's what's so important to see. This abundance that you see God creating, it's pre-fall. When Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about being reborn, do you know what he has to be reborn out of? The world that we're currently in. Into what? Genesis 1 and 2 where there's everything abundant. You're right, sin destroys. So when God says, hey, I want you to, I want you to like, like have limits and boundaries on, on, on your sexuality. It's not just unbridled for your pleasure. I want you to have boundaries on your, on your pursuit of money. I want you to have boundaries on all of these things. It's because he knows how to give us a good life. It's because he knows what abundance is. The problem is, and we're gonna unpack all of this in two weeks. The problem is we think we know better what makes for us. So here's what Jesus says. Here's the practical application of that. Matthew chapter six, starting in verse 33. Therefore, don't be anxious. Any of you anxious? Any of you afraid? Any of you depressed? Any of you insecure? What I wanna say is Jesus begins by saying, don't be anxious. Now listen, he doesn't say that to condemn you. He says that to invite you. And listen, why? Because the question is why? Why would we not be anxious? He says, don't be anxious about anything, saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear. Those are the basic things about life. Don't worry about what's going on. Don't worry about what goes on on the outside, right? Well, why? 
Because the Gentiles seek after these things. So important because we're Gentiles. And you're just like, wait, what are you saying, man? Listen, here's the thing. Do you know what defines Gentiles in this for us? Gentiles don't know God. Gentiles don't know what you're about to read. Gentiles haven't heard the creation story where this loving God filling and expanding and overflowing everything, right? But you're a Christian. You have access to the kingdom. You know Genesis 1. Don't be anxious because God knows what you need. Oh my goodness, it says that right there. Father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for its own, for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Listen, don't worry. Are you gonna run out of money? No, you're not because the kingdom of God is abundant. Now, are you gonna always be able to live in the house that you live in now? No, maybe you shouldn't live in the house you live in now. You ever worry about your house? What if you sold it and lived in a smaller house and you used all the money that you would have extra instead of like heating it and cleaning it and furnishing and all that? What if you use the money that you got from your new smaller house to give to people who are hurting and needing because Jesus loves them, because Jesus has given that. And God creates an abundance of good. So the question is, do we believe that God has created an abundance of good for us to consume or for the world to experience his abundance and his goodness? God didn't create one kind of tree. He created all of the trees so that you would know, so that you would experience, so that you could see it. Second thing, separation is an act of creation in order for God to create who you are supposed to be, he has to separate you from all the things that you are not. Here's the problem. We hold kicking and screaming to everything that we've found our way into. Have you ever seen the video of that little boy holding the fish and the fish is screaming and he says, I wanna take it home, daddy. And his dad's like, you can't take, that fish was already dead. And the kid's just like holding on and clinging to it because he can't, he can't imagine what's coming after that, right? And in order for us to get that little kid to the safe, to the home, to the good thing he has, we gotta separate him from his dead fish. And we're just like clinging to all these dead fish. No, I want sex without consequence. It doesn't exist. It's not a real thing. So he'll separate us from that. And we just feel like he's hurting us. We just feel like he's, taking away from us, which leads to the last thing. When God creates space by separating us, when God creates space, he fills it. I just look at this. Look at this, this chart. Did, we, did I put that in there? The temple chart? Yeah, here it is, right? On day one, God created time and he filled it so that we could know where it is. We can know how it's translating. On day two, he created precipitation and weather. And then on day five, he filled it. On day Three, he created habitat. And on day six, he created dominion. He created, he created people to care for it and tend to it and expand it and fill the earth. And on day seven, he sat in it and he presided over it so that we could know in this order and in this structure and in this system, everything continues to run as it was intended. All we have to do is not screw it up. If I could do a Morgan Freeman voice right now, I would say in my best Morgan Freeman voice, they screwed it up but that's coming in a couple weeks. For now, what I want you to leave with is there is no space in creation that God does not fill. When you have heard that nature abhors a vacuum, you can trust that that means God. So that means that that space in you, that emptiness, that fear, that doubt, that discouragement, that hope, that broken promise, that wound, that space is where God wants to fill. 
And maybe God has to create space in you right now. Maybe you're in that space of separation where it feels like God is taking from you your friends, your money, your hope, your future. Maybe it feels right now like you are an enemy of God. And what I would say is you may not be on day one, two, or three, yet he may just be separating you. You may be, or he may be just separating you, right? Taking all these things. But I promise you, if you will give him what he asks for, he will fill you with things that you can't imagine forever. So Jesus, when we read in John chapter one that you are the word, it reminds us in Genesis one that you are the one that creates light in dark places. So I pray that you would enter in our hearts and create light. I pray that you would create space for things to grow. I think you would fill us with a sense of the time and the season so that we can honor you with our lives. Most of all, Father, I pray that our lives in this world, we would walk through our days as if it were your temple to bring glory and honor to you. And may we take our place within that. I pray for anybody today who's depressed, who is afraid, who is alone, whose life is just chaotic. And I pray that they would find you in this. And maybe they understand now there's things to be separated from. It's not that we have to go do all these things, Father, but we simply listen for your voice and follow and trust you. Jesus, we love you and we thank you and we ask all of these things in your name and for your glory. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. River City Church is all about experiencing and expressing God's love in our lives and community. And we hope that you've been able to experience that today. As grateful as I am that you've spent this time listening in this morning, this podcast is no substitute for full participation in a local church. I love it when River City people listen to other pastors, but it is those who show up week after week, faithfully giving their support and time and resources that make all of this possible. If we can help you get connected to a local church, pray for you, or support you in any way, click the link in the description and let us know. If you'd like to financially support the ministry of River City, click the Give link on our website in the description. Don't forget to subscribe and don't forget to share this with your friends. Thanks so much for listening. May the Lord bless and keep you in all grace and peace.